Welcome everyone, so good to have all of you with us as we begin this new three-week conversation today entitled, Don't Settle for Christian. And one of the reasons we're having this conversation is so many of you over the last few months, you've been asking, what can we do as Christians to make a difference in our world with all the confusion and the chaos and all the craziness going around us? And, and that's a very sincere, very legitimate Christian. And so we want to have a conversation to help us understand how to do that. And let me just go ahead and say from the beginning, what we're going to discover has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with something else when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we want to start today with a question for those of you who consider yourselves to be a, a Christian. And then we have a question for those of you who don't consider yourself to be a Christian. So if you consider yourself a Christian... Here's your question. When people hear the word Christian, what should they think? Like when people hear or think about a Christian, what should they think? In fact, many of us who identify as Christians, we most likely have an idea of what we think people should think. So think about that for just a moment if you consider yourself a Christian. Now, for those of you who are not yet Christians, here's a question that we would like for you to consider, and that is this. When you hear the word Christian, what do you think? In other words, when you hear the word Christian and you're thinking about what that means and like maybe when you meet your boss for the first time or a new neighbor moves in across the street and then you find out that he or she is a Christian, what assumptions do you begin to make or what emotions do you immediately feel? Are you like really excited? You immediately think something like, I am so glad because Christians are some of the most selfless, compassionate, some of the most fun, Christ-like people that I've ever met. Or when you find out they're Christians, do you tense up? Is there like a little disappointment or do you find your eyes kind of rolling and you begin to dread your interactions or do you tend to distance yourself just a bit? Because see, maybe you think as a lot of Christians in our country think about Christians, as you saw in the bumper video, instead of selfless and compassionate and kind, you think unforgiving, judgmental, angry, hypocritical, resentful, backbiters. Now, the, the reason we start with these two questions is because the answer to both questions, they should be words that describe Jesus. Because see, when you really read the accounts of Jesus' life, you know what words pop up over and over and over again? Words like this, Jesus was selfless. He always put others before himself. He, he also was compassionate. He had compassion for people. He was accepting of people. It didn't matter what you believed or how you behaved. In other words, if you didn't believe the way he believed or behaved the way he did, he, he was totally unconditionally accepting. He didn't necessarily approve, but he was still accepting. And then he was also fun. People loved hanging out with Jesus. And if you don't think he was fun, read the account of Jesus' life and count the number of times, the, the different parties and the dinners and the social events that he was always showing up to. So Jesus was fun and he also was engaging. 
Nobody got bored around Jesus. And then there's something else about Jesus, and that was this. He was fearless. He was bold. He didn't back down in the face of fear. So to be a Christian, what it means is we need to take on more of the characteristics of Christ, of Jesus, which means words like selfless, compassionate, accepting, fun, engaging, and fearless. They should be what comes to mind when someone thinks about Christian. Because being a Christian, it means becoming like Christ. It means being like Christ in, in our behavior and in our actions, which means if people don't think about Christians the way they think about Jesus, then something is really wrong. Now, here's why we bring up those two questions. And this is why this conversation about what Jesus is like is so important for us to have. See, we want to challenge all of us who consider ourselves to be Christians. Because, see, we still believe, and it's why many of you have asked this question about how can we make an impact in our world, because you still believe that the church is called to play this key part in navigating the ever-increasing challenges and complexity facing our country and our communities. And here's the other reason. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, we think you're going to find this conversation very helpful because it may get right to the heart of why you have decided you don't want to be a Christian. In fact, if that's you, I just want you to know that we, from the very beginning, we created this church with those of you who are not yet Christians in mind. We want this to be a place where you could come and explore your faith and you can come and express your doubts and no one would judge you. So our goal from the very beginning has been to create an environment where Christians, as well as non-Christians, can experience God's presence and God's love. But you know... Far too often, and this is why we're having this conversation, when non-Christians think about Christians, they often do not see or think about the presence or the love of Jesus in us. And here's why we believe that is happening, especially in this season. And that is this, because for far too long, the idea of becoming a Christian has just been easy. Like all you have to do, and this is what you, people have been told for decades in the church, all you have to do is trust that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose again and that makes his forgiveness free and available to you and all you have to do is accept that and you become a Christian. But here's the reality. When you read the accounts of Jesus' life and when you read the teachings of people like the Apostle Paul and Peter and James, you find that being a Christian, it is anything but easy. In fact, the earlier followers of Jesus, they often sacrificed so much. They sacrificed their safety. They sacrificed their reputation, their families, their careers, their comfort, even their very lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back and you study the early history of Christians, you discover that even the name Christian was first a derogatory term used by others to put down the first believers or followers of Jesus. In fact, you don't find any 
of the early followers of Jesus calling themselves Christians. See, while others called themselves, called them Christians as a derogatory term, the, the Apostle Paul and Peter and the others who followed Jesus, they referred themselves as disciples or followers of Jesus. So, a challenge for us, in case you're wondering where we're going in this conversation <clears throat> over these next few weeks is this. <clears throat> We may have been, and, and the key word in this statement I'm about to make is this, we may have been very comfortable claiming the badge of Christian in our communities. Like Christian has been a pretty safe term because if I'm a Christian, I, I can believe but never do anything. I can believe but never change anything. I can just show up occasionally to church and, and I can just wear that label and that badge called Christian and, and that gives me some kind of favor. That has kind of been the idea of Christian for way too many people. But here's our challenge. What about being a Jesus follower? See, Christian is easy. It doesn't cost me anything, but following Jesus will cost me everything because Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things in your world and in my world. In fact, Jesus, he never even used the term Christian to describe people who followed them. He called them his disciples. And Jesus was very clear about what it meant to be a disciple or a follower of his. So today what we're going to do is we're going to begin this three-week conversation by looking at what being a follower of Jesus means. By looking at some of the things that Jesus taught in his most famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And then how Jesus lived that out. And chances are, as we go through some of this stuff, you're, you're going to have heard it or read it or recognized parts of it. And so this whole thing of what Jesus described, it begins in chapter 5 of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. And when Jesus is standing there on this mountainside and he's giving or delivering this sermon to this group of people, this was the day that Jesus taught those, he says, if you are a follower of mine, here are some things that you need to do. These are some behaviors. This needs to become your actions in your life. And these things are choices. They're not necessarily driven by emotions because emotions are just that. They're emotions. He's saying, no, these are choices and behaviors that you willfully have to do. So on that day, Jesus taught those who followed him. He says, I want you to love your enemies. Now hold on to that because that's going to be very important later on. He says, I want you to love your enemies. He says, I want you to do good to those that hate you. Hold on to that because that also is going to be important in just a moment. It was also the day as he stood there on that mountainside delivering that sermon that he said to his followers, you need to know where your money goes because wherever your money goes, your heart follows. So you should be radical with your generosity toward other people. It was also on that day that he's taught his followers, he says, when somebody demands something of you, you need to go the second mile for them. He also taught his followers, he says, listen, 
before you start standing around as many Christians do and casting blame on other people and saying they're the problem with our world. In fact, it is why many Christians have walked away from the church is because they don't apply this command. They've just said, well, all those Christians, and so they walk away, and they don't want to have anything to do with Christians, and they treat each other bad. But it was on that day that Jesus says, I want you to pay attention to the big issues in your own life before you point out the speck in somebody else's life. See, it was in this sermon that Jesus taught us, and this is such an important teaching, and it's so easy to forget, especially if you've been a church person, because this is not what you were taught in church world in the past. Jesus taught that you can't be at peace with God unless you are at peace with others. Matter of fact, he even goes on to say, and he describes, he says, if you've been waiting in line all day at the temple for your, your chance to make things right between you and God, he says, and when you get almost to the very front of the line, and when you are about to offer your sacrifice to make things right between you and God, and you remember there's an issue between you and somebody else, he says, you should leave the line and go make things right with that person and then come back and make things right with God. And he's teaching us in that moment that you can't be right with God unless you are right with your brothers and sisters. Your relationship with God cannot be right unless your attitude and your actions toward your brothers and sisters is right. Literally, you can't love God and not love your neighbor. So for just a moment, I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be there that day listening to Jesus as he's delivering this, this message that is going to change the world. Because this crowd, they have no idea the impact of what they were hearing and what it would have in our world. What they were hearing, the teaching they heard, it would, sh it would change the civilized world as they knew it. It would shape the Western civilization as we have known it, at least until recently has done that. Because what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount was he's saying, these are the behaviors, these are the attitudes, these are the actions that you should have. Jesus turned the value system of that day upside down and he established the foundation of what we should be like as followers of Jesus Christ. And when he was finished with that conversation, it stunned that crowd. And if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount as application for your life, it will stun you. Because what Jesus calls us to, the actions and the attitude and the behaviors that we are to have, I mean, it is, there's such a gap between how we normally justify ourselves as Christian and what Jesus calls us to. In fact, it's so stunning. Matthew writes what happens next in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Here's what he said. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were stunned. They were amazed at his teaching because it just flipped everything. It changed everything from the way they had normally thought about things. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And then Jesus is done and everybody's stunned. And they're thinking, tell us more. So Jesus stands up and he's headed toward Capernaum, but Matthew tells us the crowd wasn't finished listening and learning that day. In fact, notice what happens next in Matthew chapter 8 because they, they start following him beginning in verse 1. 
It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, now don't miss what's happening here. Suddenly, the mood is going to change because the euphoria and the excitement of what they had just heard, it's like they're still stunned. They're going, that teaching is so amazing. It's so different. And all of a sudden, that moves to a mood of concern and fear as this man with leprosy He walks in right through the crowd toward Jesus. And and it's like everybody's just social distance for fear of catching leprosy themselves, but not Jesus. He he just stood there as the man approached, and he he listened to the man as the man said. Notice the last part of verse 2. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And in this moment, everyone is about to see what Jesus really believed. Would he live out the values he had just taught with this man with leprosy? Or was his words just words on a mountainside that he left behind? Look at what happens in verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And you know what? The crowd is once again astonished. I mean, like, here is a man who actually lived out his teaching. I mean, this this is absolutely incredible. He didn't leave what he taught on the mountainside. He took it with him in his action and his behavior. But it's almost as though Jesus says, okay, yeah, that, that was a good lesson for you, but you need even a greater lesson. So as soon as Jesus arrives at Capernaum, the mood of the crowd, it changes again from excitement to anger and to frustration. And it's because of what happens next In Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, notice what happens. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, don't miss this, and don't miss what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount about love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. And I'm telling you, when this happened this centurion came to jesus asking for help the world of this first or these first century jews it stood still as they thought surely what jesus just taught us up on that mountainside it does not apply to this centurion let me just give you some context for why they thought that see 100 years before this the roman general pompey He entered Jerusalem. He desecrated the temple and the Holy of Holies by giving himself a self-directed tour. He was so curious to see this God that the Jews claimed was superior to all the other gods and this God who claimed to be the only God. So he brushed aside the priest with some help of some Roman muscle and he marched right into the holy place and then the Holy of Holies where the high priests were only to go once a year. And when he got there, he was so disappointed because there was no God. There wasn't even an 
idol, like only go a golden table and some candlesticks and, and some other gold, and, and that was it. So he left the temple, but not before taking thousands of Jews into slavery. And in that moment, Judea and Galilee, they became part of the Roman Empire. The Jews lost their freedom again. Then several years later, another Roman soldier, General Crocus, he marched into the temple and stole all the Jewish wealth and took it back to Rome. And then, 40 B.C., Herod the Great, he was crowned king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. The problem was he hated the Jewish people, so he made their life so miserable. And then when Jesus was in his 20s, Roman, or the Romans, they put Pontius Pilate in to be the governor of Judea, and Pilate is given credit, don't miss this, he was given credit for introducing crucifixion into that part of the world. See, Pilate hated the Jews as well, so he stole from them, and he was so violent toward them that he was eventually recalled back to Rome. The point is that everything associated with Rome for the last hundred years was very, very painful to the Jewish people. But it's worse than that in this encounter that this centurion is having with Jesus because this centurion wasn't a common Roman soldier. No, this was a man who had earned rank and authority through violence and inflicting suffering. He probably wasn't even Roman. In fact, according to history, this could have been a man who was recruited from a surrounding region, and the people living around the Jews, they considered them a detestable race. So, this centurion, he represented everything, and I mean everything that the Jews hated about the Romans. He literally was the physical representation of all the pain, all the suffering, all the turmoil, all the chaos, all the confusion, all the loss of freedom they had endured. And now, here he stands, asking Jesus, a Jew, for a favor. And here's my question for you. You ever been there? They stabbed you in the back. And they didn't just stab you one time, they stabbed you again, and they stabbed you again. They, they gossiped about you, they made life miserable for you, and then they came and they asked you for a favor. They asked you to give them a recommendation for a job, or they maybe wanted to borrow money from you, and you're thinking, you, you still haven't paid me back from the last time you borrowed money from me, and you're out there talking bad about me and stabbing me in the back. See, have you ever had someone ask you for a favor and you thought, no way, there is no way. I have went out of my way to help you, and all you've done is turned on me. There's just way too much history between us. I can't even believe that you have the audacity to ask. In fact, in your mind, you'd be all for helping a stranger, but to help someone who has hurt you after you tried to help them, come on. Really? So put yourself in the shoes of these Jewish people. They're all standing there wondering what Jesus will do. 
And I'm just telling you. The rest of this story, it creates for us the image and the action that we need to have as followers of Jesus if we are going to make a difference in this world. And it has nothing to do with politics. Because see, the rest of this story, what it does is it creates a decision for all of us to make. And I'm going to call you to that decision at the end of this talk. And the decision is this. Are we just going to continue to wear the badge, the label of Christian? Or are we really going to be true followers of Jesus Christ? I want you to notice what Jesus does because this is what Jesus did and this is what followers of Jesus do here's what happens in verse 6 Lord he said the centurion talking to Jesus he said my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly and I'm sure most people in the crowd those Jewish people in the crowd are thinking so now you're worried about somebody suffering terribly you haven't worried about all the Jewish people suffering terribly in fact you're part of the reason that all of us are suffering terribly I mean the nerve of this guy of all people to ask for help and don't even miss this this is important this guy this Roman centurion he's saying my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly and this crowd is thinking we don't even want you to help the servant, somebody who's associated with the centurion. And so many times, those of us who call ourselves Christian, we not only have disdain and hate for somebody who has wronged us, but we also want harm or don't want to help those who are associated with those who harmed us. And what Jesus does next, it absolutely stuns the crowd even more. What he does next, it could cause him even to lose the crowd. Notice how he replies in verse 7. Jesus said to him, referring to the centurion, Shall I come to your house and heal him? Literally, should I go to your home and heal your servant? I'd be happy to do that. And I'm sure many of the Jewish people are at this point thinking, Really? I mean, Jews aren't even supposed to go into the home of any Gentile. Let, let alone this guy, he's caused us to suffer terribly. But I want you to notice the centurion's reply in the next verse. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he says, why? He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, and, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus hears this, he commends this extraordinary big faith of this pagan enemy of the Jews, and, and I'm sure that infuriated them even more. And, and then he does the unthinkable to all the Jewish crowd that is watching. He loves his enemy. He, he does good to those that hate him. In fact, notice what happens in verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And this servant was healed at that moment. And then Jesus, when he finishes that, I mean, the lesson's there. And he's headed right over to Peter's house for lunch, leaving the crowd to wonder, what, what do you do with a man who lives out what he says he believes? 
who does what he teaches, even when it could cost him everything. I'm just telling you, folks, this is where it gets so practical for us. Because if we are going to make a difference in the world in which we live, it has nothing to do with what we do with politics. It has everything to do with how we act, interact, and our attitude toward others. Because let's just be honest. Being a Christian, it's easy. It won't cost me anything. But following Jesus will cost me everything. See, it is so much easier to be a Christian than a Jesus follower. See, it's so much easier to reduce our faith to a label, just Christian. But here's what we know. A label will never have an impact on our behavior. It is so much easier to say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's not hard. It doesn't cost me anything. But following Jesus, it will cost me everything. It will cost me my right to go through life with a bad attitude toward those who have offended me, hurt me, wounded me, wronged me, my enemy, those who've persecuted me. No, see, following Jesus, it's going to cost me everything everything, especially my rights. Think about it. It is so much easier to do good for a stranger than an offender. And this is where many of us who call ourselves Christians are stuck. I mean, isn't this so true? I mean, it is so easy. I I can do good for somebody I don't know, but when I have a history with you, when you've wronged me, when you've hurt me, I mean, I come up with every story and every reason why my relationship with God, as long as it is good, man, that's all that matters because I can treat you however and think about you and have whatever attitude I want to have for you or toward you. But here's the thing. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He says, no, you are to love. It's it's a a completely different matter entirely to do this. It's easier to love people who look like me, think like me, live like me, and agree with me. It's so much easier to do that than to love like Jesus called us to love. Now, do you know why this matters? Because for all of us church people, If we just continue to choose to be a Christian, don't miss what I'm going to say next. We will just contribute to the challenges our country is facing. In fact, we will make things worse, not better. Because here's the thing. We'll be content to say that everyone is created in the image of God. We'll be content to say that everybody has equal value, dignity, and worth. And we'll even be content to say that red, or red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. But all we will do is say. See, if we just choose to be Christian, if we just settle for Christian, we will just say all the right things. But that will not be our action. In fact, you might want to write this down. If we do not decide to follow, we will not act. And here's the thing. In our inaction, we will be complicit in the things becoming worse in our communities, things becoming worse in our churches, not better. And we'll be seen, as as so many people have said about Christians, 
will be seen as hypocrites. And the message of Jesus is going to lose its credibility because we don't do what we say we believe. In fact, see, even in the church, there are so many people who can't get along with other people in the church or they, they don't treat each other right in the church. And, and we wonder why people don't want anything to do with Christians. Please don't miss this. Men and women and students who make a difference in this world, man, they are people who don't just say the right things or believe right. They are those who act and respond based upon what Jesus said is right. They do it even when it's going to cost them something, even when it's going to cost them everything, even when it means I have to lay down my right to be offended. I have to lay down my right to be angry. I have to lay down my right to hold on to a grudge. They do it when it costs them everything, and they love everyone just like Jesus did. So our challenge to you, as we begin this three-week conversation, and I pray you come back because this is the easy talk for this, for, this, for this series. And that is this. We want to challenge you to follow and act. Follow and respond like Jesus. Follow and love those that are hard to love. Follow and love those who think different and look different and view life differently than you. You know why? Because God demonstrated his love for you in that while you still were a sinner, Jesus died for you. See, he loved you when you didn't deserve love. And he expects the same from you and from me if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. See, Jesus never invited anyone to be a Christian because believing alone is just way too easy. No, what Jesus called us to do is do what he said. He, he led his teachings. He said, I want my teachings to move you to act and respond. And so he invites you to follow. So don't settle for being a Christian anymore. If we settle for being Christians, we're going to only add to the confusion and the chaos in our world. What we want to challenge you to do is today is to step up and become a follower of Jesus and start this week by deciding, I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to love those who have offended me. I'm going to love those people who are like me. I'm going to love those people who are unlike me. And I'm especially going to love those who can't or who won't love me first. And then we want to make sure that you invite someone to join you next week because next week we're going to talk about the biggest difference maker between a Christian and a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I think it's going to make a big difference in many of your lives. But today you have a decision to make. And I told you I was going to call you to this decision. And that is this. The decision is, will you just continue to wear the badge of Christian and, and you'll look at everybody else in the world and say how bad they are and you'll look at other Christians and even distance yourself from other Christians because of how bad they are acting and they're not acting like a good Christian and you're going to just keep blaming everybody else and make things worse, not better because you won't live and love like Jesus where you just keep wearing the badge Christian or... Will you decide today to follow Jesus even if it costs you everything? And for some of you, 
It means today you have to say, Jesus, I'm going to step up and I want to follow you. I'm going to ask you to be my sin forgiver and my life leader from this day forward. For others of you who've called yourselves Christians, what it means for you is you have to totally forgive. You, you have to forgive those who you still hold a grudge against in the church and those other Christians that you just resent and have anger and bitterness towards and even people who are not Christ followers. So all of us have a decision to make. Jesus is saying, I want you to live life, to make a difference, and the way you do it is by loving those the way that I love the leopard and I love the centurion. We got a choice. You're gonna keep wearing the badge, Christian, create more confusion and chaos in this world, make things worse, not better. Are you gonna follow Jesus? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's a big decision because this is a decision that when we make it, it costs us everything. While we receive the gift of your saving grace and your unconditional love and mercy and kindness, it also costs us everything. Everything that we consider our right or our rights. Jesus, you came as our Lord and our Savior, and we receive that gift of salvation but you also came as our king. And you established what our behavior and our attitudes are to be like in your kingdom. So today, God, there are many of us that are making that choice, some for the very first time to say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. It's going to cost me everything, but I ask you to come into my heart and be my sin forgiver, be my life leader, my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. I'm going to learn to live and love like you did. I, I, want, to, I, know, I want to be in a relationship with you, and I, and I want to make this world a better place because I love like you. Others of us are saying, God, forgive us. We repent of our sin, of not loving like you have loved us and you've called us to love. Forgive us for our gossip, for our spirit of unforgiveness, for walking around offended, for being so angry, for holding on to resentments and grudges. God, I pray that you help us to live in your forgiveness so we can give total forgiveness to others. God, help us to grow so much in your likeness that we can love our enemies and that we can do good to those who've done bad to us. God, that's our prayer. And we know that when we get to that level, we can make an impact and we can make a difference for good in our world. And that's what we want. So lead us there, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us this week. We will see you next week as we begin part two of this conversation. Have a great day.